Welcome into the Big Apple Sports Talk Show on VIC Radio. Cam Mana alongside Eli Fishman with you for another Saturday episode every Saturday from 1 to 2 p.m. Uh, we got to start today. Let's just get right into it. Talking about the New York Yankees. We are in the lockout right now, but Eli and I talked last episode about some of the moves that the Yankees can make. And there has been talk about the Yankees pursuing Freddie Friedman when the lockout does end, Eli. And I think bringing in a first baseman, maybe not the number one need. We've talked about some others, but a bat like Freddie Friedman, especially a lefty and a reliable guy, a gold glove winner would be a very prominent move for Cashman after the lockout. Absolutely. I know you're very high on Luke Voigt, but Freddie Freeman is top five, top 10 player in the entire game of baseball. He's a guy that's going to hit, you know, three, I, don't, I think he close to 350 last year. Uh, obviously the World Series, it's hard to imagine he's going to leave Atlanta, but, you know, under the right circumstances, I definitely think he would, and I would hope he would. And um, as a Yankees fan, he's the type of guy, as I've mentioned before, it's a business. You want to sell jerseys. You want people to come to your games. You want people to pay more money to see the on-field product. And Freddie Freeman is the kind of guy who, you know, people wear his jersey. People are going to be him for Halloween. You know, he's going to post. He's a great social media guy and a great personality and get him mic'd up and, and all these things. He's going to help sell tickets and he's going to help, you know, sell the brand of the New York Yankees while being a great on-field product. He's not necessarily a home run hitter. He's so he's like the opposite, but exactly what the Yankees want in so many different ways. Yeah. He's not a home run hitter. He's a, he's a lefty. He's a first baseman, but, but he's average. kind of like a slap hitter who's yeah. He's like a slap hitter a little bit, a little bit of power, but hits for average for the most part. He um, is a, a very good defender too. That's another big piece of it. Um, with so many questions in the infield, you need a good first baseman. Like we've seen with, you know, Voight to share in back-to-back couple of years, how good defensively your first baseman is, is so important. Freddie Freeman, you know, he's, he's older, so you don't want to give him a bigger contract, but he would be worth a lot of money. Um, gives you the opportunity to trade Luke Voigt. I'd be happy with Anthony Rizzo too, but shoot, I want Freddie Freeman. I agree with everything that you say there. Freddie Freeman, you know, almost a career 300 hitter, batted 300 last year. We know what he can do, obviously, from, you know, a hitting standpoint and a fielding standpoint. But what I will say is when you bring up the contract with Freddie Freeman, I just don't want the Yankees. And we brought this up with Correa on another show. I just can't follow the idea of the Yankees spending 200 to $300 million on a position player when they haven't filled a second pitching slot. Because right now they're talking about Luis Severino being that number two guy when he hasn't really pitched in two years. So no one knows how good Severino can really be. If the Yankees are going to spend 200 to $300 million close to that on a guy like Freddie Freeman, who is an amazing player, don't get me wrong, then that brings the, the value down of who they can bring in as a number two arm behind Garrett Cole, which the Yankees desperately need. A, a, a bat at first base, Whoever it is, at the end of the day, Freddie Freeman's amazing. I like Luke Voigt. Rizzo did a great job. He could bat leadoff as well, what we saw in the wild card game. But I think the Yankees need a number two, number two pitcher more than anything. And I think Freddie Freeman gets in the way of that happening. I agree. But the starting pitching market right now isn't great. A lot of the top guys are off the board. It's really Kershaw and Rodon. And obviously, the assumption is that Kershaw is going to go back to L.A., the, given the market, the prices for those two two guys are going to be a lot more inflated than they would usually usually be. There's a great free agent class of pitchers coming up next year. I think they spend big money on Freddie Freeman. 
and use prospects to go get a Sean Manaya, go get a Frankie Montas, a Chris Bassett, um, just a couple of guys to throw out so there. Trade Luke, for a Lucas Giolito. Yeah. Lucas Giolito, the White Sox have mentioned that he's on, he's, they're, they're listening to offers on him. Those are all, all the guys are named top, you know, number two, number three starters in the league. And given their prospect capital, they could definitely afford it with that. And given their financial capital, they can 100% afford a guy like Fred, Freddie Freeman. I'd rather have them go that route, especially because the uh, pitching free agent class is so weak. But I'd like, I'd still like Carlos Rodon. I would definitely I'd still settle for him. 100%. Definitely, I would love Rodon. It just when I when I look at Friedman, and you know, you might know the the price range for a guy like Friedman more than me, but I would I would assume it, it's you know it's close to that maybe one ninety two hundred million dollar range. I'd probably say, yeah, four or five years, yeah. 100, 180, $200 million. And, uh, and you know, Voight, obviously, I don't even think that, you know, with the Voight situation, we've talked about this, whether, you know, the Yankees have him or he wants to play, I just feel like that relationship between Voight and the Yankees is is just broken from, from yeah. what we saw last year. And then, but I just like the feeling of Rizzo because I just think that Rizzo would be, a little bit cheaper than Freddie Freeman, depending on what the Yankees want to do with the pitching situation. If they can bring in Freddie Freeman and then make that, make a trade using prospects, that's, that's one thing. But I think that Cashman's number one target after the lockout should be looking at that pitching market first, trying to make a run at Rodon or um, even Kershaw, even though I don't love Kershaw. I think he's getting up there in, um, in age, but I think that should be his first priority. And then if that doesn't work out, then obviously go for a guy like, you know, Freddie Freeman, who has no flaws. I agree. Um, and another thing that you got to mention with Voight and Torres is like, I was, I'm trying to think of who was, who was talking about it. Um, I'm sure it was, I think it was Michael K actually on, on um, talking Yanks the other day is right now, Gio, Gio's, tra- Gio's trade value is okay. Glaber Torres's trade value is so little. Luke Voigt's trade value is so little, but we're talking about guys that have the potential to be so much more. So what Michael Kay was saying is it's not it, for those three guys, their trade value, it's hard to decrease. It could only go up and you don't want to, you know, send them away. Well, trade value is so low. Give them the first half of the season with don't make these big moves yet. Give the first half of the season. And if you're still in contention, if these guys still are keeping you in contention, ship them out at the trade deadline when their value is much higher because it can't be lower than it is right now. And I kind of like that, that saying, you know, thinking about like, you know, Clint Frazier, his trade value, we could have gotten, shoot, I'm sure teams would have done like Sean Manaya for Clint Frazier straight up two years ago. Yeah. And he got DFA'd, claimed on waivers, Yankees. He, he cleared waivers, DFA'd, released, Yankees made $0. Like, even if he was claimed on waivers, I think you make like $50,000. But no team even wanted him on waivers. They lost millions and millions of dollars. And I think Brian Cashman doesn't want to do the same thing with Glaber Torres, doesn't want to do the same thing with Luke Voigt, wouldn't do the same thing with Gio Urshela. Um our shell in the right situation. You know, he had a great season last year and when he's healthy, he's great. Um, Stanton was, I've heard uh, obviously his name because his contract value is incredible, but I don't want Stanton to leave. I, I love, he's, no, he's like one season away from being like, 
I'm trying to think of a people a also comparison, give, like Aaron Judge level. But people also give Stanton a lot of hate, but you know, because because of his contract, but his season last year was very impressive. In in a lot of big games, especially down the stretch, like you look at that the run that the Yankees made to even get in the playoffs when they were sub 500. Aaron Judge and Stanton were were the two headed monster of that run. Right. Stanton was unbelievable, especially you know in a wild card game where yes the Yankees lost. Stanton came to play, so I think I've noticed that Stanton it comes to play in in big games, and I don't want to see Stanton go. And I and I do think that point about the trade value. The Yankees definitely, if you look back all the way back to 2017, they could have made some moves with some of the younger guys when they had higher trade value. And obviously they had they had lower contracts, but you look at the decline of of Glaber, Andujar, um, even like oh, you know Andujar too. Forgot guys like that, him. so many declines of just talent. And it's, you know, and, and, and hopefully this year, we, we, we talked about Glaber um, a lot in the show because we were talking about the situation with Correa, if they, if they bring him in, um, if they were going to bring him in. But um, I don't know. I, again, with Stanton, he, he gets a lot of hate. At the same time, I think Glaber gets a lot of hate that he deserves. But at the same time, I think Glaber can still be the Yankees starting shortstop come opening day because of – you know, he's a guy that hit 40 home runs just 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 two years ago. Yeah, two years ago he was an MLB All Star, and two years ago Luke Voigt was the league leader in home runs. Home Yankees runs, fans. and then now everyone right, yeah, the Yankees, Yankees fans. fans. You know, as Yankee <laughs> fans, but then we you know try to try to almost I think go we're, against we're, them. In a I way. think we're real Yankee fans. Yeah, we're not because you know you go to the games too, and you sit next to these people that you know boo these guys. Oh my but, god! Like you know, Luke Voigt hit you know led the league in home runs, and then. He comes in, you know, to this season, he's over his first eight, and everyone's like, oh, you know, cut this guy. Like, you know, no one knows what they're yeah. talking about. And then he was hurt, too. He was hurt for all of last year. I think Luke Voigt definitely has a shot. And what's that's, that's what sucks the most about this lockout. The Yankees have so many guys like Luis Severino, like Voigt, like Torres, like Urshela, like Andujar, who are, you know, coming back from issues on the come up. They need – and um, uh, it was – uh, Jamison Tyone coming back from his ankle injury. He's doing a lot of tweeting about he can't go to the Yankees facility and train. He can't throw in front of the Yankees pitching coaches in front of the Yankees staff. Um, you know, the lockout is separating these injured players from the resources that they need. And we're not able to see, you know, and and these guys, they're usually in Tampa right now, hitting at the, the facilities and, and working out. And this is usually the time where all the hype gets started about, the big league players um, in camp and who's looking good and who's looking skinny and who's looking muscular. But with a lockout, we obviously can't do that right now. Yeah. And before we move on to, to the NFL, um, I saw some stuff about, you know, Mike King, maybe having like a breakout season. Oh, what do you I think love about... Mike King. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I know, you know about a lot more about these younger guys and, you know, Mike King's a guy that's been very impressive. A lot of talks around him. Maybe he could be someone that steps into a position and takes a much, you know, bigger role in the staff. 100%. He's going to be the Loisaga of last year, um, this season, King. You know, he had a lot of injury problems coming up through the minors, was injured for the first half of last year, and then all of a sudden, he was he was healthy. He got, like, six relief appearances in at the end of the season, looked amazing. He's going to have a great year, and, and no one talks about him. Very, very high value, and I know – there has been talk about the Yankees moving away from some relievers, maybe a guy like Luizaga while his value is so high, Mike King could definitely step up. Um, and I'm excited to see what he does. And fans can't forget about Luis Severino. I yeah. think you can't, I mean, considering how he looked considering at the end of last season in that playoff yeah. game and 
you know, the six games or five or whatever it was. And considering, you know, he was the opening day starter in, I think, 2018 and 19. Um, but, but the Yankee fans need to understand that he might not come out of the gates as the number two starter that everyone, you know, wants him to be. Because I think the Yankees organization, and, you know, they, they definitely know more from a standpoint of seeing Severino, but we, I can't expect, and I feel like as fans, we can't expect him to be the number two guy punch back right in that role and then be the Severino that everyone expects right away. I don't know. I feel like the Yankees had what they did um, before the lockout in terms of the moves made, maybe hints in terms of not going out and getting any pitching um, or any help at all, maybe says that they know a lot more about Severino than the fans do in terms of the bullpens he's thrown and the things he do he's done. Um, We'll obviously see the moves they make in the first week after the lockout, which is going to be hectic. But I definitely think that the Yankees not making moves ahead of the lockout means that Luis Severino, they have confidence in him being a, a great arm. And that's, and that's fine to have confidence in, in Severino. And as a whole, I don't hate the staff. I, I like Montgomery. Um, when Tyone gets healthy, you know, he was, he was solid last year. Cortez was pretty special. But the thing is, Cortez worries me because – He's not you know, a starter. Yeah, we're we're, we're going to be honest here. He's he's he throws sub ninety. We're we're not sure. And you know he definitely he definitely does have a good movement on his pitches. But is Cortez going to come in and have a three ERA like he did last year? You know the, the the Yankees have to understand they can't expect all these pitchers, especially Cortez specifically, to come in and then replicate their their former season. Because if if they start to look at it like that, then the pitching staff is, you know, definitely still shaky. They're expecting, I, I think as a whole, this whole pitching staff relies on Luis Severino coming back and being Luis Severino. I thought you were going to say Luis Heel uh, at first when I heard Luis coming up and dominating. He's another guy that um, we got a hint of last year who could definitely play a big role with the team. I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the starting rotation. A lot, like there's, there's a lot of moves that could definitely be made with the, with the staff as a whole. And, I don't really hate the bullpen either. You know, the uh, I think again, as Yankee fans, I think Chapman also gets a lot of hate as well. But yeah, you know, if you look at Chapman's last five seasons, he's you know statistically been the best closer in in all of baseball. It's it's just been those those big games that he blows. Yeah, like the the national games. It was the Subway Series. It was the Rays in the playoffs. It was the Rays but in the where regular are you, season. Where are you going to improve? Like the Yankee fans have to understand it's. It's like, you know, okay. How can you improve from a role as Chapman too? Yeah, you can't. And that's why fans have to understand, you know, all these guys, the Yankee fans almost get spoiled by the players that yes. we watch. Like Chapman is a great closer. He would be a closer on any other team. If you want to get rid of Chapman, okay, who are we going to fill Chapman's spot with? Not Zach Britton, I'll tell you that. No. And, you know, Luizaga was solid last year. I think the Yankees pitching staff, um, definitely maybe a move or two can be made, but as a whole in the roster right now, it, it, it doesn't look too terrible to me. Moving back over now to the NFL, we had the NFL honors on Thursday night and not too surprising. Some of the moves that were made only really one that I disagree with Eli. Um, I think we have to start with going towards the MVP and what we saw there. Um, they gave it off to Aaron Rodgers as the MVP and I will say I completely disagree with, with Rodgers getting the MVP. I think that 
if you lead the league in touchdowns and yards, I think Tom Brady should have been the MVP of this year's honors. I think you're only saying that because of the playoffs and because Tom Brady retired. If the NFL could have playoffs, no. If the NFL could have could have written it, Tom Brady would have won the MVP in his last season, 100%. But they didn't know Tom Brady was retiring. Um, and we didn't know either of them choked in the playoffs when the writers made their votes. I think Aaron Rodgers. So is then, okay, so then, so then, before the playoffs, what's the basis of MVP? He led the league in the two most important passing categories. He was led the league in yards and touchdowns. And then I, I think you also, if you even put age into it, he is he Tom Brady. Everyone says right now was you know he was still arguably a top five quarterback this year, and I think stats wise. He had the best season. And, you know, obviously when you look at it, not just on paper, on the field, yeah, Rodgers makes more flashy plays, looks more talented from the eye test. But I feel like you can't go against someone that leads the league in the two major passing categories. He, Rodgers had a better record, better completion percentage, a couple less touchdowns. He had seven less interceptions, more yards per attempt. Higher QB rating. Just scroll through that, the stats. I just think that first also of all, Tom, not, it's also Tom Brady in the Bucks, and it's Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Yeah, but Rodgers also too, and I, and I know the writers make it before the year starts, but he's just not the most valuable player. He's he, he he's just not. He's not okay, valuable. I, I, I agree that Tom Brady has more value. But if we're talking about who was the better quarterback during the 2021-22 season, it's Aaron Rodgers. Well, first of all, this award stinks because the way that it's named oh, most yeah. valuable player is it just makes no sense. It should be, I think, offensive player of the year should be the pretty much the best player, best offensive player award. That's pretty much what MVP is. MVP, most valuable player is not Aaron Rodgers. If you look at the whole league, most valuable player to a team, like, you know, honestly, if you look through like, let's just take one player off of every team and, and, and replace it. Like, imagine the Bengals didn't have Joe Burrow. Right. Like, that's that's value for these teams. I'm surprised Tom Brady only has three MVPs. I had to the look M- it up. Well, you, you speak of MVPs, look at the NBA. Yeah. And we talked about this. Michael Jordan was the best player in the NBA every year, and he won five MVPs. LeBron is four. Like the, you know, the, the, the MVP honestly is in, in my eyes, the award is losing so much credibility because everyone knows who the best player in the league is, but that guy never wins, you know, wins the award. It's that best season that, that, that they give it to. And the fact that, you know, really, I think the MVP to lose credibility, it speaks for itself that the fact that Jordan only had five MVPs is nuts. He was clearly the best player every year that he played in the NBA. True. It's it's the writers and there's so much politics in it too. You think about Aaron Rodgers and politics too. Let's. I wonder if there's any relation there. Yeah, and Rodgers. It was only one game he missed, I think, because of COVID. Or was it two? It might have been one or two games. But you know, the first game of the season, he practically missed when they got crushed by the oh Saints. Oh my god! Yeah, first game that- of the season. That we- it was it was ugly. We we thought he was he was that done, photo done. was legendary. The one of uh, him, Devontae Adams, and I think Randall Cobb was in the photo, and they're just like smiling and 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 staring at like the scoreboard, and then they went on that run. But um, yeah, you know what? Give give Rogers 
most valuable player. I just think that Tom Brady, in my eyes, did enough to win to win the MVP. And I, I think it was also Rogers. There's a video of him playing golf. He he even knew that he won the MVP two days before. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder how long before. But yeah, if if the NFL and the writers knew Brady was retiring, he a hundred percent wins it. And knowing the NFL, if they knew Brady was retiring, they would have, you know, designed um, the last couple of games of the NFL season a little bit differently. No, they would have not. Yes, they, they would have. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Because I, whether it be the refs or that unsportsmanlike penalty or just small things, it's not. The NFL it's not rigged, Eli. It's not rigged. rigged. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Because it if depends this, on how no, you define I, I rigged. Well, if this year was scripted, if this year was scripted, they would have put the Steelers in at least the AFC championship game. Big Ben would have not gotten blown out in his last game if this year was scripted. Who cares about Big Ben? He's not a moneymaker. Big Tom Brady is an amazing career. Okay, but like, all right, so then Tom Brady, I mean, not Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger sucked. He sucked the last couple of years. He just wanted to get back on the field. Everyone knew. Okay, but, but you talk about scripting something amazing. We knew Big Ben was retiring. The Steelers were the last seed, barely snuck into the playoffs. If they wanted a moneymaker, especially how big of a fan base the Steelers had, imagine they beat the Chiefs on the road in, in just the first game of the playoffs. Pat Mahomes would make the NFL more money than Ben Roethlisberger in his last season. So, so you think it makes 100%. So, so scripted wise, you think it makes it makes more money than Matt Stafford's in the Super Bowl? Okay. I mean, why not? Then, like, why okay, not put Aaron Rodgers in the Super Bowl? Listen, L.A. is the most struggling NFL city at the moment. Just exactly. built a new stadium. Their attendance is garbage. Awful. The away teams, filled, the 49ers filled the stadium. And have the Super Bowl there. Make the place some money. Get the place some attraction. Get some people in that new stadium. I think I that makes like sense. I just feel like if it was scripted, they, they would have put – there's so many other quarterbacks in the NFC. They would have put Rodgers. If it was scripted, honestly, the last dance that Rodgers posted on his story, him and Devontae Adams, this was the last dance. If it was scripted, Rodgers and Devontae Adams would be in the Super Bowl right now facing off against, you know, Joe Burrow, fine. That's, that's if they want to script it, that would be a nice story. I just can't see that if they're scripting it, they're going to put Matt Stafford in. And I love Matt Stafford, but if they're scripting something, there were other quarterbacks to, to be put in that position. I agree. I definitely agree. You know what the worst thing ever is? What? The Pro Bowl. Pro Bowl is awful. Let's talk about the oh Pro Bowl. Oh, my God. We, my friends and I play more aggressive touch football oh, than yeah. the Pro Bowl. Oh, yeah. And there was two, there was two points made. So there was a video of Sean Taylor back in the Pro Bowl when he laid out a punter, like he decked a punter. And that's what everyone was like. This is what the Pro Bowl should be. It's football. That's one point. I agree with it. There should be contact, but Darius Slay. And I think it was Trent Brown alignment for the Patriots came out and said, well, why are we going to go play in the Pro Bowl when in the NBA all-star game, that's the middle of the season. Players have time to recover. They have, you know, a few weeks off and it's the middle of the season. So there's no contracts that are up and the NFL, the season's over. A lot of these guys in the pro bowl are free agents. So, the, you know, if they go out there in the pro bowl, tear the ACL, do something like that, then it, it affects their money-making it affects right. come contract time. So the pro bowl, I think in general is just 
one, it's in such a bad spot because it's at the end of the season. So, you know, contracts and all things like that, these guys are banged up. They just played 17 games because the season just got even longer. And that's one thing. And two, I think the Pro Bowl in general, because of that, should just be done. And that's why I think you saw this meme. It should be the two worst teams in the NFL, mm. and they play for the number one pick. I didn't see that, but that would be electric. That would be Oh, my God. Insane. I would love that. That that game would be nuts. Like imagine it, uh, it would have been the ratings. Oh my Jaguars and Lions this year. The fan that bases, the those fan bases would actually care. Oh, that's a great idea. I didn't see because, that. Because then because then those teams would want to win that game. Because now they're it's winning to get the to get the top pick. Once you're the two worst teams. I always talk about like the Pat McAfee show, Love My Life. But um he he always says like the Pro Bowl, it's the only how the NFL gets players to go um, is incentives in their contract. No player wants to go to the Pro Bowl. Every player absolutely hates it. But it's an incentive if you're in your contract. If you make the Pro Bowl and you actually go, it's an insane amount of money. And I remember McAfee, he said in his uh, – it was one of his last seasons. He made the Pro Bowl, had an almost million-dollar incentive. All he had to do was go to the Pro Bowl. It was, in, it was one of the ones in Orlando. Like – why um he turned down a million dollars just for like a th- for three days at the pro bowl that's how yeah, horrible McAfee, it is pat McAfee does not care what what i do like is and i didn't really watch it because i don't really love the pro bowl honestly but oh i i know, just saw a couple highlights i didn't watch any of it i didn't care i enjoy like the the uh, dodgeball games that they play on, on on the thursday before i think that's you know to spice it up a little bit just have the players have some fun but i think the game itself if they're going to play touch football, then make it seven on seven, kill, kill the lineman for the pro bowl and just do seven on seven touch football with, you know, and, and just air raid because yeah, I would like to see one-on-ones. I yeah, know ones it was and like races and one-on-ones stuff. races. It should and just be a skills for the skills showdown for the skills showdown. They had Micah Parsons, Tyree kill. And who was the other one? Maybe it was, it was Chubb's race Chubb. Um, and Tyreek Hill didn't even try. I don't get he didn't run. They hyped up Micah Parsons. They hyped up Micah Parsons for winning they, over well, Tyreek Hill, do, and that pissed me off. I think the skills competition should be the Pro Bowl. I think the skills competition should move to Sunday, and that should be the Pro Bowl. The only thing is the money. It's it's all business, and but no one watches the Pro that. Bowl and tickets do sell for a lot. Who would want to go I to think, the Pro Bowl? I think the Pro Bowl. I think the Pro Bowl makes a lot more money than you think. No, it I think does, the ratings were at least okay. The tickets sell for a lot. The tickets sell for a lot of money. I'm surprised people want to go to it too. <sighs> I don't know. And I guess I that love. It was in, I love the two losing teams idea though. Just like um, imagine that, that would be crazy. That would be right below the Super Bowl in like excitement level. Oh, definitely. That would be definitely. crazy. So nuts. Before we sign off here, I think we should definitely talk about, um, you know, I think two awards that really made sense. TJ Watt had an amazing year, defensive player of the year, and then rookie of the year, Jamar Chase, which, you know, um, you talk about that as as the year went on, you know, Pepsi rookie of the year. We, we talked about Micah Parsons for a little bit, Mac Jones for a little bit, but um, I, I, I think Jamar Chase had the most dominant year out of, any rookie and it was probably him and Parsons one and two. Absolutely. I'm definitely glad Chase got it. Um, and it says a lot about him as a player getting it 
again, the writers vote before um, the playoffs even start. So I think that says even more about how great of a season he had. I was scrolling through the awards and the like, um, what they're presented by is so funny. Offensive player of the year presented by Microsoft Surface. Rookie of the year presented by NFL All Day. Bridgestone best, best moment for a best player of the year. Defensive player of the year presented by Castrol Edge. These are funny. The Hall of Fame is presented by Uber Eats. Speaking of the Hall of Fame, the fact that Devin Hester did not get into the Hall of Fame. Oh my God, is crazy. I didn't even think about that. That is that is terrible. That that happened. He was he holds the record for most kick return touchdowns, 20. He's literally the most feared kick returner in football history. And he did not get into the Hall of Fame. That is another thing, most valuable player. And I, and I think the Hall of Fame, like Chad Johnson's not even in the Hall of Fame yet because he wasn't like the Hall of Fame, you know, like face because of the things he would do celebrations wise. And he wasn't, you know, the, the face that everyone wanted. But what what is like, what is the Hall of Fame anymore? They're, they're literally leaving out guys that are so deserving. I don't even know. I, I also couldn't believe that, um, that, yeah, that Johnson didn't get in. And I, I listened to some of the full send podcast talk um, when he was, when he was talking about it, which was very funny, very good, very good episode. But um, yeah, I can't believe Devin, he, Devin Hester's so electric. He was one of my first, my favorite like players growing up. I always, what I always would do in Madden is go to practice yeah, yeah. mode, practice mode, kickoff players, the bears, and just do like Hester, 200, yeah. 200 kickoff returns in a row with Devin Hester getting a touchdown every time. And literally people have said kickers and special teams coordinators have said he is the most feared kick returner in football history. I think that right there is, is enough. Like if someone says that Should about be. you, you're, you're a hall of famer and he's not for, for some reason. And he did it I for wonder, a while. He did it for a while too. Oh, forever. And I wonder what they're even basing it, it off of. If Devin Hester is not a hall of famer, I think they have an explanation. Stupid writers, baseball, football, basketball, everything. Just well, a lot of, a lot of controversy. A lot of controversy with the NF. Hey, besties. If you love VIC Radio as much as we do, you want to know what's going on in the studio, or you want to stay in the VIC loop, why not follow us on our Twitter at VIC Radio and our Instagram, which is also at VIC Radio. Keep listening to the best of what's next, your favorite indie music station. VIC Radio is the voice of Ithaca College. Here's a campus organization you can get involved in. Planned Parenthood Generation Action is a student activist group that works directly with the Planned Parenthood of the Southern Finger Lakes and the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. They are dedicated to keeping Ithaca College conscious of reproductive justice and of legislative attacks on people's bodies regarding healthcare. Their meetings are on Thursdays at 7 p.m. in Friends 207. To join, email icgenerationaction at gmail.com or follow IC Generation Action on Instagram. Want to get your organization's message on the air? Email community at vicradio.org to connect with the campus community involved. VIC Radio is the voice of Ithaca College. Here's a campus organization you can get involved in. Want to help bring a little more love to your campus community? IC Random Acts of Kindness Club meets every Monday from 8 to 9 p.m. in the Business School, Room 104. Stop by to socialize, participate in fun events, get creative, and be kind. For more information, please email randomactsofkindnessic at gmail.com. Want to get your organization's message on the air? 
Email community at vicradio.org to connect with the Campus Community Involvement Director. Welcome into the Big Apple Sports Podcast here on VIC Radio. Cam Manna and Eli Fishman with you for yet another episode, as usual, talking New York Giants, talking New York Yankees. But starting with the New York Giants is the important thing. Eli and I have wanted to talk about this all week. That loss against the Kansas City Chiefs when the Giants were 2-5, and five, a chance for them to move to 3-5, and five, kind of get back in that NFC wildcard hunt, had many opportunities to win that game against a struggling Chiefs team, but not able to get it done. They moved to 2-6 and six on the year, and Eli, it seems like every time the Giants have a chance, something always goes wrong for this team. Absolutely. Another just game that makes you put your head down um, in terms of the way the Giants played, and obviously the expectations were so high coming into this game. Um, this was a game that it almost felt like a must-win going into it, considering how much the Chiefs have struggled, and it did feel like the Gi- this Giants team was, was coming together a bit Monday night on ESPN, really a time to show out, and, and they didn't. And the most frustrating part about this game, I don't care if you lose to the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, I'm kind of expecting you to lose to the Kansas City Chiefs, no matter how they played. But the fact that they should have won this game, and it was penalties and, and poor decisions on both sides of the ball that led to losing this game is, is the part that hurts so badly. And, and some of the decisions by Joe Judge, too, were just so questionable. That leading to the loss is what makes this just such a frustrating game. Yeah, and you look at the film on this game from start to finish. The Giants put up 20, 17 points in this game and only allowed the Kansas City Chiefs to score 20. So the defense... Did their job. The defense made stops and kept the Giants in this game over and over again. But it's those mistakes. O'Shane Zimenez, the Giants defensive lineman, going off sides when Darnay Holmes gets an interception to put the Giants in great position to score. That gets called back. So mistakes like that just ruin everything that the defense really did to keep the Giants in this game. You look at the offense... Really not moving the ball. Yes, Daniel Jones throws for two touchdowns in this game. He tries to do his job to keep the Giants in the game, but no weapons for Daniel Jones. The offensive line is not there, and the play calling from Jason Garrett is absolutely horrendous. On top of Joe Judge not taking risks, the Giants were in a fourth and two opportunity, had a chance to, instead of kicking a field goal, kind of go for it and take a risk, you know, already being two and five, uh, two and five on the year, and, you know, Joe Judge not deciding to go for it, as well as the clock management. Um, at the end of that first half, a lot of things in this game that were done were questionable, stopping all the good that the Giants did against the Kansas City Chiefs team that, as Eli mentioned, is a team that is tough to play with and the Giants were able to. And it was, for me, one of the big, there were so many so many things to point out, but in terms of, of judges you know, wanting to go for it, obviously that's one thing. But at the end of the first half, they had a great opportunity driving down the field And he decides to wait to call his timeouts. He waited so long to call his timeouts um, until there was 20 seconds left. And they were on their own 35-yard line in third down situation. And then the Giants go offside or uh, false start two times in a row. Um, So so Judge's decision-making there was was just really bad. The play calling was bad. What's also horrible is blaming it on the headsets. That they were going oh, out. terrible. Like, what even is that excuse? Terrible excuse. You know, 
Even and, even if that is the case, is that really something you bring up in a press conference? No, especially when you're going to say that this has been going on the whole entire year. If this has been going on the whole entire year, why did you not fix it after week one? Why are you waiting until you're two and six and people are starting to press the panic button on your Giants to talk about it now? You should have brought this up a long time ago so it could be fixed. But, you know, Joe Judge decided to wait, whether it's an excuse or not. He says he's not an excuse maker, but... To me, Eli, this sounds like a clear excuse that the headsets were quote-unquote not working. That's a complete excuse. You just can't say that. And as I was saying, like, even if even if this is the case, right, if the, if the headsets are going in and out, not working properly, whatever, it's not in a post-game press conference where you tell the media and tell the fans as your excuse that that was the problem. As Use that as an excuse. That's the type of thing that you go to the league for, that you go to higher-ups for, that you make a big deal about at another time during the week. That's just not the time and not the place to make an excuse like that. And that's just what – that's that he's not he's not holding himself to, to discipline when you say something like that and, and you know, taking taking the blame, I would say in that kind of situation, which is what he should have done. And, and those two timeouts that he claimed were they had to burn because of the miscommunication wound up almost losing the Giants this game. Yeah, and there's times where you got to learn to not take a timeout. There's got to be you know certain times and certain situations where you don't call the timeout, let your players just be athletic and go out there and try to make a play because it's about clock management, and Joe Judge was terrible with that in this game. And in a three-point game where the Giants had chances to put this game away, they needed timeouts in that final drive that really just screwed Daniel Jones over on that final drive. And Jason Garrett's play calls in that final drive also, especially on that third and fourth down, having two tight ends go into the flats for a check down instead of blocking or going deep just makes no sense. Jason Garrett, for his whole time with the Giants, they were the 31st offense in the NFL last season, and Jason Garrett was still not fired to give Jones some stability as we, you know, with an offensive coordinator. And then he comes into this year, and Jason Garrett is just the same offensive coordinator. He's he's not a fun offensive coordinator. He's not creative to the point where it's smart, and he doesn't move the ball downfield and use Daniel Jones's strengths. I saw no. Um, I really did not see any designed runs for Daniel Jones in this Chiefs game, maybe besides one or two. And on top of that, when did Daniel Jones throw the ball deep besides a throw to John Ross that was caught in P.I. and then a throw to Darius Slayton? Jones did not air the ball out because that's not what the play calls are being called for. Daniel Jones is just, you know, in a situation right now with Jason Garrett, especially with all the injuries that, you know, Daniel Jones is having to deal with as the quarterback throwing to um, you know, guys that are not number one receivers, it's putting him in a tough situation, which is so frustrating that this guy is still calling plays for the New York Giants, and they're two and six with the the ceiling and the potential that they truly have. Absolutely, absolutely, the play calling um, was was just horrible, and we've we've seen this season Daniel Jones's biggest strength is throwing the football down the field, and there was none of that, none of that against the Chiefs. And another thing that just pisses me off is the creativity of of the plays. There's just no creativity that that goes into the Giants playmate. There's there's just absolutely none. And you know, one thing is Judge was a special teams coordinator in New England and, and the kind of thing that whenever a special teams coordinator comes in, everyone says he's gonna he's gonna be creative, he's gonna fake punts and, and all this kind of stuff. 
and we've we've really really seen none of that and I don't necessarily it's tough to say who to blame um, you know we kind of rant on this show and blame everybody because because there's a lot of blame to go go around um, with, with so much frustration that's happened um, but but Garrett really should be the one who, whose head should be on the chopping block right now and you know the way this giant season is gone uh he shouldn't be here for very many weeks yeah and you can put the blame on everyone in some way there's unlike when we talk about the yankees with aaron boone there's actually stats that you can you know um put blame on when you talk about some of the giants coaching and front office personnel starting with joe judge if you want to put the blame on him it's possible Joe Judge started 1-7 in 2020, 2-6 in 2021. And then in 2018 and 2019 with Pat Shermer, same thing. 1-7 and 2-6 and and to start his career with the Giants. That's a total of 6-26 and with these last two head coaches. Ben McAdoo actually finished with a better head coaching record than Pat Shermer and then could, you know, could finish with a better record than Joe Judge. But I do see Joe Judge being back at the end of this year for... This one difference that he had between Pat Shermer and Ben McAdoo, when you look at the records, Joe Judge does not have that to his advantage to defend him. The one thing he does have still at 2-6 and six is he has the Giants locker room. Players have come out like Logan Ryan and say they still respect Joe Judge because of his leadership and how consistent he is with what he says. He goes by something and he sticks to it. He's not you know, two-faced at all. Joe Judge brings to the table. You get what you get from him. And that's the one thing that the Giants are still respecting, even at 2-6. and six. And then you can put the blame on Dave Gettleman. He's not done a good job drafting. But I will say at the same time with Dave Gettleman, and, I'll, and I've gone back and you know said this, his time as a GM with the Giants has been very confusing because of where he started. Eli, if you remember, he came in in 2018, um, Eli Manning's second to last season, when they drafted Saquon Barkley. That year, after 2017, when they fired Ben McAdoo, Dave Gettleman was asked to come in and kind of revive this Giants playoff team from two years ago. So they drafted Saquon Barkley, brought in Nate Solder, kept Eli Manning. Dave Gettleman wanted to rebuild at that point, and that set him a year back. So a lot of this has to do with John Mara, but I try to defend Dave Gettleman because if you really think about it, Eli, if they fire Dave Gettleman at the end of this season, who knows who's going to be back on the staff or or the players next year because when we look at this Giants roster when healthy, they are a team that you want to keep together because you know that the talent is there. So bringing in a GM maybe could be the problem. I love your Jason Garrett point because he's the only guy that you can really take away for what he's done on the field, just the, the, the straight-up film of what he's calling out there. And you know you can bring in a new offensive coordinator that's better than Jason Garrett. Absolutely. And, and Garrett should be the one on the chopping block for that reason. Um, but... You just can't keep keep this continuous rebuild, rebuild, rebuild every every couple of years. Rebuild around Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones every year. Now you know, change offensive linemen this year. Change you know the secondary this year. This this cycle that keeps going on with the Giants is is just so frustrating, and you can't keep going like this. So so what change do you have to make? It's with the coaching staff. It's with with the coaching staff, and and I really, really do think Joe Judge is the right man for this team, especially you know you do look at look at all the options that that are really out there, and, and think about 
who would you want to to take his his place? Who would you want to lead this team? And just the whole process of hiring a head coach, the whole process of finding someone, and and the interview process, and you know the controversy of, of firing your current head coach. I'm, I mean, Joe Judge should not be at the, at this point in time. His, he shouldn't even be on the chopping block at this point in time. But but the fact that it's a conversation means that there's just so much failure um, in this organization, in the Giants organization, that change does need to be made. Um, but that may not be in terms of in terms of jobs. And another thing that, that really frustrated me so much about this game was the penalties, especially the penalty uh, with the offsides yep. after after an interception that probably would have won the Giants this game had had they put three points on the board to, to at least tie it. Then Tay Crowder slamming a Chiefs player to the ground after a play for a 15-yard penalty. Then they went, um, they were not able to get a first down after that play, punting the ball back. And then the Elijah Penny, you know, we talk about the taunting all the time and, yeah. and how, how much that penalty sucks. But it was just like a 15-yard run down the right side, and he gets up and yells in a Chiefs player's face. Yeah. When you're down on the scoreboard, too, when you're seven points down trying to drive down the field. It's it, discipline, too. It's discipline. And I know Judge has the locker room, but does he really, Does he really? when, when there's these kind of penalties, obviously you don't know what's happening behind the scenes in terms of is he getting on guys about these moves? Well, I definitely still think he has the locker room from what I've seen about players coming out and still defending Joe Judge. I think that situation from Elijah Penny and all these penalties, that comes down to discipline, and that's one thing that Joe Judge needs to take care of because he preaches on discipline a lot about this being a disciplined team, which obviously they're not on the field. That's the one thing that Joe Judge has to fix. But I don't think that directly has to do with if he has the respect of the players in the locker room. He just might not be doing as many disciplinary you know, activities, as weird as it sounds, as he did during the preseason. But that Elijah Penny thing was, you know, that comes down to not even what Joe Judge can do. That comes down to you just being a smart football player. You know that you cannot do that. That, you know, that a lot of the time you can't really put that on Joe Judge. It's a lot of the times these players in the field got to just, you know, know when to not do something. They're NFL players have been playing this game their whole entire life. So that frustrates, frustrates me and, you know, have to defend Joe Judge a little bit there. But the main thing that I look at in this game outside of the penalties is this one drive. First half, second quarter, three minutes, eight seconds left, third and four. And Jason Garrett decides to run a out route to Sterling Shepard in the red zone before the sticks. So it's not a first down. The Giants end up kicking a field goal to make it 14-10. Yes, Sterling Shepard needs to get to the sticks there. But why on earth are you running that play on third and four in the red zone, a play that's the first down line is two yards before the end zone, and you're trying to do a play that gets you right to the sticks. That is the story of Jason Garrett. He runs hitch and stick concepts right to the sticks. Never takes that risk to the end zone. What are we going to throw a fade or a corner out in the end zone on a third and four and take a risk? This is just such a conservative play call. And then I was hoping that Joe Judge in this spot on fourth and two in the red zone would go for it. You're two and five in the second quarter down by seven against the Chiefs. You went for it before. Let's just, you know, let's let's spice something up here when you're already have such a bad record. You have nothing to lose. And both Garrett and Judge 
Garrett starts with the conservativeness, and Joe Judge just keeps it going, not going forward there. I hate it. Absolutely, and I definitely think that Jason Jason Garrett deserves a lot of blame for that. But Sterling Shepard, that was that's a lot of that's a lot on him. I it mean, is. Any when you run around like that, he was what two yards in front of the sticks. No, no, he's got to get to the sticks, hundred percent. No, he wasn't even close, and and that's another frustrating part, and that does feel like discipline. Is something wrong in practice? And and then obviously, you know, this week has been has been the COVID week for the Giants, which I'm sure isn't isn't helping with anything. And, and you see how that might affect the team. Saquon Barkley missing a couple practices with a false positive and technically thirteen positive tests on this Giants side. How much how much does that influence their ability to, to practice this week? Yeah, and and I've heard the Giants <laughs> excuse me, the Giants aren't even gonna play Saquon Barkley. Um, this week now because of everything with COVID and him not practicing. And, you know, really just going through this game, just, you know, cutting down everything from the Chiefs game, you go to that last drive of the first half, the Giants get a offsides, uh, sorry, a false start penalty from Will Hernandez, and then a holding penalty that was just so clear from Nate Solder to stop that drive. The Giants can't get anything on the two-minute drill ever. The Giants are the worst two-minute drill team in the NFL. And it just shows because their penalties, and yes, we can blame certain things on Jason Garrett. He should not be back this year. But to just organize this conversation even more, a lot of it has to do with these Giants players that are just not able to do the little things. They can play the game of football. They can make big plays. The defense can keep us in the game. Uh, you know, the offense is is not great because of the injuries right now, but they're trying to get the job done. What hurts is those little things down the stretch. The Chiefs didn't play great either, and the Chiefs, had you know made mistakes they had penalties but it came down to who's going to make more penalties who's going to make more mental mistakes and the giants did just that they were the team that did more of what you can't do in a game like this you you just can't and then the field goal fourth and one that was earlier in the game um i believe it was earlier in the uh in the first quarter deciding to go for it um or excuse me deciding to kick the field goal instead of, of going for it is definitely on judge there and the, what's also so frustrating is the the division you know this east division is pretty pretty horrible really horrible aside from the cowboys cowboys are definitely going to win the division but considering they had a chance to win or a chance to go to the playoffs last year at at eight and eight that's that goes to show that they really just need a little bit of a push to make a playoff push after this week, I feel like that's almost out of the question. They obviously don't look like a playoff team at all, especially considering how bad Kansas City played. That's another thing. Kansas City played horrible. They just looked atrocious on both sides of the ball. Clueless. Clueless. Um, there were a few few times the Giants had guys wide open and just were not able to convert. And, and the run game, they kept going for it, and, and we saw some some bursts, but the blocking just wasn't there. There were a few times where, you know, you look and you go, where's the offensive line? Where's the offensive line? So just so many things, so many things to rant about because, because of the failures in this game. And it gives you absolutely no confidence going forward. You know, you think to yourself, the Raiders this week, a team that has been absolutely flipped upside down in the last two weeks. Um, that's almost not even an understatement. That's an understatement how much they've been flipped upside down in the last two weeks. 
and you think they should be able to win this football game on Sunday. Yeah, they 100% they should. should. 100%, yes. And they're 2-6 and six right now, and, you know, even Giants fans would, you know, still say we're still in contention. And I'm not saying we are, but James Bradbury came out and said something, which is just nice for people to hear that they're going to keep fighting until they're out of playoff contention. Because the Giants still know that they got talent on this team. It's not just a 2-6 and six team where, you know, we need this, we need this. There's a few holes, obviously, but the Giants have that experience. Hopefully getting Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Toney back to full health this week on the field will definitely help the Giants against a Raiders team that is not that great. They're a very beatable team. The Giants could try to get back-to-back home wins, 3-6 and six going into the bye, and then they can get healthy, so you never know, but they got to win this game, and it's... And it's such a winnable game, too, because of way the way they played these last two weeks. The defense is there. And that's why I felt, for, felt bad for Patrick Graham in this Chiefs game. He called a very good game. The defense made stops when it was needed. And they just could not get it done. The, the Giants were just, you know, just deflated. Have to be deflated after this loss about the defense keeping, keeping them in the game. They have a chance to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And it just does not happen. And it's those little things, top to bottom. Joe Judge's clock management, Giants penalties, you know, um, not knowing where the sticks are. Like, these things just got to be fixed. And it's the difference between winning or losing. If you really think about it, Eli, an O'Shane Zimenez and a Dexter Lawrence offsides penalty taken away, the Giants are 4-4 four and four right now. It's, it's unbelievable to think about that how many chances the Giants have had so far this year to win football games, but stupid penalties and mistakes by our team hurt the Giants down the stretch. It's terrible. And four and four at this point, they're a playoff team. Four and four is the wild card right now. And you still look at the standings. You still look at the standings. They're tied with Washington in the bottom at two and six. Eagles are three and five. Cowboys six and one. No way they're catching them. But for the rest of the season, Raiders this week, then the Bucks, then a bye. Then you have or Raiders, then a bye, then the Bucks, then you have Eagles, Dolphins. Bears, Washington football team, Eagles again, Chargers, and then the Cowboys as well. Those are a lot of very, very winnable games. Yeah. And you just can't put yourself, the, the hole that they've put themselves this deep in the season, it's impossible to get out of. You know, at the beginning very, of the season, no, the very we looked tough. at the schedule, at the beginning of the season, we looked at the schedule saying, all right, they've got a tough first half. But the second half of the season is some very, very winnable games. Even in the first half of the season. And they, they won a couple of them. Um, but, man, that Falcons game that you look back on and, and how horrible that was. And that Washington game um, was slight and wide open in the end zone. And then the penalties. Yeah. And, and, and you look back at all the games, really. The, the Broncos game was just... An absolute just you know mess, but you brought up that Washington and Falcons game. Giants could be two and one if they do things right. Dexter Lawrence doesn't jump off sides, or Darius Slayton catches that touchdown in the Washington game. That's a win. Falcons game, you look back if a Dory Jackson gets a pick in the end zone, that's a win. They come back, finally put it together in that Saints game, and I love that Saints game because the defense played strong and the Giants were healthy. Saquon Barkley was finally full go on the field. Kenny Galladay was getting comfortable with Daniel Jones. It, it, it all looked good, and then that Cowboys game, 10-10 at the half, and then everyone gets hurt, which is just so frustrating because this Giants team, really, if they're all healthy on the field, and we, we're, you know, we're always saying if they're all healthy on the field, they could be a really good football team when they're on the field together. They just 
have not been able to, and that makes everything else look so much worse. If this was a 2-6 and six football team, and Kenny Galladay and Saquon Barkley were out there, and Kadarius Toney for every single game, and Sterling Shepard didn't miss three games, and we didn't, and you know we didn't have Blake Martinez, that's one thing. But the Giants are depleted at every position. We lost, we've lost three captains in the first four games. The Giants have a brand new O-line with all these injuries, so it's really frustrating. But, um... Yeah, no, they've they've had a few good games, and that 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 Panthers game these last two weeks have been promising. But imagine that Giants win against the Chiefs before this Raiders game, two in a row, right before the last game before the bye week. The Giants could be three and five right now, pending on four and five. Could be a whole different season right now. But again, you have mistakes, mistakes, mistakes. You are what your record shows, and that's two and six. What's also frustrating is this whole Daniel Jones saga. And how up and down it's been with him in this season in terms of how hot he looked at the start. He's looking like a franchise quarterback at the beginning of the season. And then as of now, you, you the hopes aren't very high for him. You can't look at him and say anything insanely positive about him and the way he's played. And obviously that goes towards you know Joe Judge and Jason Garrett and the lack of weapons that he's had with all of these injuries and and so many different things that contribute to Daniel Jones' lack of success. But you think, first of all, the thought is, is this really, is he really, is he really it? You know, can he really compete for, for 17 weeks? Even even though we've seen how good he can be. And the other thing, um, uh, and him with, with that all around, all around him being the starting quarterback for this team, and, and do you really want to have faith with him for the future because you just can't have confidence you can't have confidence when a team is truly playing this poorly and you know we'll see what happens next episode if anything moves on with the lockout and all the meetings and um you know things like that and the next time we talk there will be a super bowl winner Bengals and rams coming this weekend so that will wrap it up here on the big apple sports talk show cam Mana alongside eli fishman with you every saturday from 1 to 2 p.m. on VIC Radio. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll talk to you next time.